Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Titans sure have stepped in it now, haven't they? I mean, we've gone from my sounding a little bit over the top when I first broached the concept of forfeits a few days ago to that all of a sudden looking like it might be the best case scenario for Tennessee's management, coaching staff, even the players. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. And this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio podcasting network. If I sound like I've got a little bit of an extra hop to my figurative step this morning, it's because, and I think this is human nature, we all like feeling as if we have some sort of extra intuition. You know what I mean? My dad used to talk about uh, his ability to detect whether or not a pizza was going to be any good just by as soon as he walked into the place. There were just certain signs and he could just tell this place is going to be lousy. This place is going to be really good. And he was always right about it. Well, I'm not always right, to say the least. I do a lot of columns, I do a lot of commentary in a lot of different forms over the course of a calendar year. So I'm going to be wrong a lot. That just happens. It's just something that you accept. But, but, when you're right, and it's right based on a healthy, educated intuition, man, that's a good feeling. You know, it is. Not that I wish ill upon the Titans, not least of whom are the 21 already ill Titans. But there was something about Mike Vrabel's press conference last week in Nashville that just rubbed me the wrong way. I I saw... A football coach. I saw a football lunkhead who had neither the time of day nor the first care in the world about the pandemic that's going on, about protecting his players and their families from it, about protecting their opponents and other people around them from it. It was the last thing on his mind. He would get asked about it, and he'd respond with something, something, something about how his team's psyche was being affected toward their preparation for the next game. I mean, that is shallow stuff. You know those um, high school football coaches that are portrayed in those cheesy HBO afternoon movies? You know which ones I'm talking about. 
that's what this was. This was just lowest common denominator football coach who couldn't be bothered to play amateur epidemiologist. Well, guess what? In the modern NFL, in the NFL of 2020 for sure, a coach has greater responsibility than just winning that game on Sunday. There's a lot of layers to it now. It's not what it was. And within this very real pandemic, this coach, he he wasn't just derelict in his duty. The reports yesterday out of Nashville powerfully indicate that a group of Titans... Skill players, meaning quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, and so forth, went to some school nearby in Nashville completely, completely against not just the written rules that the NFL has assigned, but a specific direct instruction from Troy Vincent in the NFL office to Mike Rabel, and to the Tennessee Titans to not do any such thing. When their facility was shut down, they were told, you're not to congregate anywhere. You're not to have your players get together anywhere. Least of all, a practice. And there they were, these dummies. They're they're out there on the field. They're practicing. There's, there's photos of it. I mean, it was at a school. Kids have cameras, you might have heard. Everybody's taking pictures. Whoa, look, there's Ryan Tannehill. And this stuff shows up everywhere. And these dummies, like, first of all, that th- you thought that they were going to get away with it is insane. But they went and they did it. So the NFL and the NFL Players Association is as part of its ongoing investigation, confirming that those were the players. And then from there, of course, they have to find out why they were there. Like, were they instructed to go there? Did they do it on their own? Did they at least run it past the coaches? If so, what did the coaches say? Where was Vrabel? Lots of questions to be answered. In addition to that, It's already been leaked out that the NFL and NFLPA have overwhelming evidence that the Titans weren't following any protocols of significance at their facility before this happened. They weren't walking around with masks. They they just weren't doing anything. It was as if it was last February. So every intuition, suspicion, whatever you want to call it, that I had about Vrabel from his press conference turned out not just to be true, but true times like 30. I hadn't seen that. I hadn't seen it being this bad. But then, think about this. Every day, there's another Titan or two that's being added to the COVID list. There were two more yesterday. One of them, by the way, was a wide receiver who was seen at that fake, I guess you'd call it, practice. I mean, what a crazy story. What a if it wasn't for these 
dopes endangering other people, including their own families and friends, it actually would be hilarious. It'd be like a sitcom. But it isn't that. It's a serious problem. It's a serious problem from the health perspective. It's also a problem from the football perspective. Because now you wonder, what is it that the NFL is going to do, and how do you apply it fairly? There was word fairly late last night that when the league puts out its punishment, it could be, according to an unnamed source and attributed by ESPN, historic. That was the term that was used, a historic punishment. What could that mean? Well, there's never been a forfeit, a forced forfeit in the league's history. There's never been one. If the Titans were forced to forfeit their upcoming game, and that would be the one that's the most likely, against the Buffalo Bills, that would be historic. That would be unprecedented. If they were forced to forfeit their last two games, and I know that's what you've been thinking about through this whole thing, that, of course, would mean a win for the Steelers and a loss for Tennessee. I've advocated long, loud, and hard over these past few days for a forfeit to be in play, for it to be an available hammer to the commissioner. Roger Goodell, to his credit, has made it that by using exactly that word in the two-page memo that he put out a couple days ago. Good for him. doesn't mean it'll get applied here. This is a different setting. It's a different situation. I could see the Titans' punishment consisting of some of the usual suspects, you know, fines, docking of a draft pick or two, something like that that hits them in the pocketbook. It also hits them in the football context, but you also have to go at the current team. The best thing I can think of here is to punish any and all individuals involved. First of all, Mike Rabel has to be suspended for the rest of the year. He cannot be trusted to coach slash oversee an NFL team in a pandemic. He has lost that right. He shouldn't be allowed anywhere near that team for the remainder of this season. That can be a sign not only to the Titans, but also to the rest of the NFL, not just that this could happen to you or whatever, but also we care about your health too. Picture being the Buffalo Bills right now. Do you want to play the Tennessee Titans? Are you eager to send your guys out there? Are you eager to send Josh Allen out there against that group when they have tests showing up positive three, four days later? No thanks. No thanks. I'd feel a whole lot better if the Steelers, when they go into Nashville for that makeup game in a couple of weeks, didn't have to look at Mike Vrabel on the other sideline and wonder what all had been going on in that week of prep. Vrabel out 
rest of season. Any player and or team captain or however it is that you want to divide uh, or discern how these players came to show up at that school's field out rest of the year, out several weeks, something. And if it happens to be that it's Tannehill and all their skill position players and they end up having to go to their practice squad or former XFL guys or pull people out of retirement, whatever it is, too bad. Too bad. You made football a greater priority. So guess what? We as the NFL are now doing the same thing. If football was so important to you, we're going to show you what the priority actually should be. So do that. I'm okay with that. Because you know what? That's going to have to come down, I think, as early as today, no later than tomorrow, whatever this historic ruling is. And when it does, then the Buffalo Bills will have a game this Sunday against the most awful football team you've seen, well, okay, since the last time the Browns went winless or whatever, but you get the idea. It's going to be a really, really, really bad team. And they'll lose, and they'll lose a football game, and that's what's going to hurt Mike Vrabel. That's what's going to hurt the Tennessee Titans, that they lost a football game. And then the Steelers will get to play them in a couple of weeks. There's no way that suspension or suspensions, however this shakes out, is going to be over before the Steelers show up. So the Steelers are going to get the same thing. They're going to get some no-name. Who knows how many quarterbacks were at this thing? Who knows whether or not Tennessee would have its backup or third-string guy or scout team guy or, again, somebody just off the street. The Steelers will eat that quarterback alive. And the Steelers will destroy that team. And it's even better than a forfeit, right? Who wants a forfeit? Who wants a freebie win when you can do this? I like it that much better. I really do. I'm I'm not being facetious with any of this. I really believe this is the way to go here. And then, and then, if that stuff still doesn't work, for whatever reason... That's when you just kick them out of the league for the year. That's not a joke either. That's not a joke. MLS, Major League Soccer, booted, of all franchises, their Nashville team out of their playoff bubble that they had in Florida. Why? Repeated, reckless violations. Okay, you blew it. You're gone. That's it then you don't have to worry about unfairness and who forfeits to who or whatever. The team's just gone. Poof. Like they never existed. Everybody who was supposed to play them gets a win. Is it entirely fair? No. Is it more fair than just Buffalo and Pittsburgh getting wins? Yeah. Whatever. Right? Gotta send the message. You have to send the message. Not just to Tennessee, but to all 32 teams. When we come back, Hockey, big day in hockey. 
traded by the Penguins to the Senators, I'm betting you have already heard. Kind of a big deal. Two-time Stanley Cup champ. Successor, clear successor. Essentially an anointed successor to Marc-Andre Fleury in every way. And yet, just like that, in less than five years, he's gone to the Senators for a second-round pick in yesterday's NHL draft, which was used on a a goaltender, first of two, back-to-back, actually, in the class. And for a 20-year-old forward prospect, Johnny Gruden, it's close to impossible to assess a trade like this. No, No, it's not close to impossible. It's impossible to assess a trade like this. Um, on face value. I mean, it's a a known commodity going in one direction and two extraordinarily unknown commodities coming back. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents who need help with workers' comp and medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they are going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. They've been keeping promises for more than 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City, or... You can just look them up online at lgkg.com. Easy enough to remember, lgkg.com. Or call them at 888-842-5454. What stands out to me from a purely transactional standpoint about the Murray trade is that Jim Rutherford was able to look at the market, look at the chronology of the circumstances in front of him and read them correctly. I have been writing and speaking for a while now that if Rutherford could get a second-round pick, he'd have done very well. If he'd have gotten a first-rounder, he would have done extraordinarily well. So what he did was kind of in between land. He got a a decent. Nobody's expecting that this Johnny Gruden will be some great player in the NHL. He's more of a leadership type, so forth, character guy. But they got a second-round pick, and they got themselves a 20-year-old prospect to at least add to some semblance of depth, really to their minor league system uh, before long. The the Wilkes-Barre Scranton team could certainly use it. There There isn't a whole lot there. Not up front, not on the blue line, not in goal, not anywhere. Uh, it, it's, it's not a great situation. So adding a young player, adding another kid into the mix that they could trust, meaning from a character standpoint, isn't going to bomb out on them was a good move. What I like, though, was, again, the approach. Rutherford was, as we all were, 
very much aware that come Friday when the NHL's free agency opens, there's going to be uh, glut might not even be a strong enough term for all the goaltenders that are going to come out there. Uh, Braden Holtby is the headliner, but there's a bunch of others. And when that happens, teams that have goaltending needs who fancy themselves contenders were going to be able to just say, all right, well, let's just pay up and get this guy. But I was saying on yesterday's show, when I was attaching Minnesota and Pittsburgh in this sense that the best fit was going to be a team that had cap room, like Minnesota, and that had a wish to get younger and have a goaltender that they can kind of grow with. And that's definitely Bill Guerin's plan with the Wild. But then come the Senators. The Senators, who I I wasn't sure if they would feel that confident uh, in where they are. They did surprise teams a little bit in the last regular season. Obviously didn't have a great record, but they've got Brady Kachuk. They've got some some players, younger guys, who can who can really play uh, more than the Penguins do, I might add. And maybe they just looked, uh, and, and in, for sure, judging from Pierre Dorian's comments up in Ottawa to reporters there yesterday, he believes this, that Murray can just come in and be something of a stabilizing presence for that group. Um, Murray's not exactly old either, you know. He's going to be 26 when the puck drops uh, this winter. That's that's a fit that I hadn't seen coming in, in large part because the Senators all the way up to their owner, Eugene Melnick, are just so erratic and unpredictable that you never know. But, again, Rutherford read it right. Rutherford uh, told us last night that he didn't have any offers from anyone that he could accept. Nothing that I could take was the way he worded it until yesterday morning. Why did the Senators step forward when they could have just sat back and waited for one of these free agent goaltenders? Why did they step forward? The answer to that is your GM, meaning Rutherford, made what he had to offer known. You know, he, he takes as, as much praise as he gets for being open from fans, because fans love it. There are also people who are inside the business who wonder, wow, why does he say everything? Why does he talk so much? Why does he answer every reporter's call? Why does he tell them everything? This is why. This is why. Rutherford made known that he had, I'm putting in giant Seinfeldian quotation marks, two goaltenders available for trade. He didn't. He had one goaltender available for trade. I've been saying that all along. Because he wanted to set some kind of market between the two, and if somebody was going to absolutely floor him for Jari, at least he would have listened. But he makes that part known. Then from there, he makes it known again, publicly. He told our Dave Molinari, said that he's looking for a draft pick. 
because he is where he is with the cap. He's not expecting to be able to sign any free agents. He can't extend uh, the cap through any other means. And so he's looking for a draft pick. So all that's out there. Yeah, there are other ways for GMs to get stuff out there, but when it's public, there's something that's a little bit extra to it. Then maybe you're more at the forefront of other teams' discussions or perceptions. So you're the Senators. You wake up yesterday morning, and you go, you know what, out of all these goaltenders, the one we'd really like to have is Matt Murray. He's won a couple of cups in Pittsburgh. Uh, You know, good human being, can be trusted, uh, hails from Ontario, whatever else you, you know, would, would go into these discussions. They just make up their minds that Matt Murray's their guy. They also know that Jim Rutherford has a timetable, and he has a timetable established by saying that he wants a draft pick, and here we are on the second day of the draft. Rounds two through seven. And if they go to Rutherford and say, hey, here's a second rounder, and he's sitting there at the table with his scouts, in this case, the table back at PPG Paints Arena, it all works out. It it works very nicely. It's playing the whole scene. It's not being desperate or rash. Uh, you, You hear the nickname attached to him, Trader Jim, because he makes a lot of moves, but yet you don't ever really hear even from his most ardent critics, that he's impulsive because he's not. He knows what it is that he wants. He knows how he's going to get it, and then he goes and gets it. But that doesn't mean that it's not methodical. So while it might look like happenstance, oh, look, here's a text message from Ottawa that he got yesterday morning. It's not because he set the whole thing up. He set up the entire process that he was going to accept or take, to use his term, a second-round pick. If he didn't get a second-round pick for Matt Murray yesterday, Matt Murray would still be property of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I believe that 100%. He wasn't just going to move him. He wasn't just going to say, all right, well, whatever, we're going to take a third-rounder. No, you set your own price, you set your own bar, and you leave it there. Try to do something else. See, maybe if you hold on to Murray and he gets super hot in October, you can trade him in October. Listen, it's going to be a normal next season. The first month of whenever the next season is, and Murray's really, really hot, you can say, okay, well, hey, everybody, come and get him. Maybe get a higher price. He did all that. I'm always impressed by this stuff. Maybe a little bit more than I should be, but I think it's really neat. When we come back, just a little bit about baseball. He's 19 years old, he's right-handed, he's got quite a bit of development ahead of him, but he was considered the 22nd best international free agent prospect available. I could bore you to death breaking down what constitutes international free agency and how that's different from the draft and how that's different from Latin America and everything else. Uh, Put it this way, 
this player was going to be expensive. It was going to be a challenge to sign him within Major League Baseball's only recently implemented international bonus cap so that all teams are limited in how much they can spend on such players. But Ben Charrington went and got it done. This portion of Daily Shot is always brought to you by the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where their current drive is called growsharethrive.org. I'm going to say it again because it can be a little bit of a tongue twister. Growsharethrive.org. They're trying to grow and expand this great institution. In normal times, one in seven people in our region don't know where their next meal is coming from. And it's that much greater during a pandemic. They're trying to establish a firmer foundation, both structurally and in in terms of their procedures, in terms of their ability to get food to where it's needed. GrowShareThrive.org is the website. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. The only reason I I bring up this international pitcher, there's actually a a fair amount I could get into here, uh, not least of which is that when Ben Charrington finds a high-ceiling amateur athlete that he likes, he moves a lot of different pieces into place to make it happen. And in this instance... He's been making small, quiet trades, uh, including the one for Gerard Dyson, in which he picked up $225,000 in international cap space. Now, when this happens, there's a peculiar, to say the least, and uninformed outcry among some fans, but also even some established veteran media members in Pittsburgh who say, oh, look, Nutting dumped him off for a quarter of a million dollars. Um, that isn't how this works at all. Taking Dyson as the example, when the Pirates move Dyson, no money changes hands. What they acquire for Dyson is the right to spend $225,000 more than their cap limit. And the same happened with two other transactions. And you'll recall the same happened in the Starling Marte trade, where they acquired international cap space and then signed a rather prominent outfield prospect out of Australia. Charrington said after the latter that he never would have been able to get that kid if he hadn't asked for that extra space in the Marte deal. The same thing applies to this pitcher from Taiwan who was signed yesterday. Actually brought to Pittsburgh. They have pictures of him signing and everything. If they don't make these moves, they don't secure the rights to spend more money. 
No, these things are not the equivalent of hiking payroll or going bonkers like the perpetual dopes who run the Reds did last offseason to absolutely no avail. And by the way, the Reds just went through a front office shakeup yesterday. So their chances of winning another offseason don't seem real good. This is just one of those many things where people who just follow the Pirates peripherally will just pan them and be completely inaccurate. And to everyone else, it's like, okay, you know, like if I go and I correct them, whether it's on social media or whatever, all you'll see is, you're defending the Pirates. No, I'm just telling you what this thing actually is. Lighten up. Ben Charrington's doing the right thing. This is the way to spend money. Go and get yourself a bunch of high-ceiling young players. Start pumping them into your system. Coach them up. Make them better. See how many pan out. There's a better-than-average chance that this young man from Taiwan will never pitch in the majors, will never amount to anything. I'm not wishing that on him, certainly. I'm just saying, that's just baseball. But the more of them you have, and the more you invest in those types, the greater your chance that there's a big payoff when they arrive. And that's what you have to do. It has to be about quality, but it also has to be about quantity in any good baseball system. Wonderful move by Ben Charrington. This is the kind of stuff that should inspire the fans that understand this stuff. How about that for some work? Thanks so much for listening today. We got one more this week tomorrow. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.